Chapter Forty of Wives and Daughters by Elizabeth Gaskell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Forty. Molly Gibson breathes freely. That was the way in which Mrs. Gibson first broached her intention of accompanying Cynthia up to London for a few days' visit. She had a trick of producing the first sketch of any new plan before an outsider to the family circle, so that the first emotions of others, if they disapproved of her projects, had to be repressed until the idea had become familiar to them. To Molly it seemed too charming a proposal ever to come to pass. She had never allowed herself to recognise the restraint she was under in her stepmother's presence, but all at once she found it out when her heart danced at the idea of three whole days, for that it would be at the least of perfect freedom of intercourse with her father, of old times come back again, of meals without perpetual fidgetiness after details of ceremony and correctness of attendance. We'll have bread and cheese for dinner, and eat it on our knees. We'll make up for having had to eat sloppy puddings with a fork instead of a spoon all this time, by putting our knives in our mouths till we cut ourselves. Papa shall pour his tea into his saucer if he's in a hurry, and if I'm thirsty, I'll take the slop basin and oh if i could but get buy borrow or steal any kind of an old horse my grey skirt isn't new but it will do that would be too delightful after all i think i can be happy again for months and months it has seemed as if i had got too old ever to feel pleasure much less happiness again so thought molly yet she blushed as if with guilt when cynthia reading her thoughts said to her one day molly you're very glad to get rid of us are not you not of you cynthia at least i don't think i am only if you but knew how i love papa and how i used to see a great deal more of him than i ever do now ah i often think what interlopers we must seem and are in fact i don't feel you as such you at any rate have been a new delight to me a sister and i never knew how charming such a relationship could be but mamma said cynthia half suspiciously half sorrowfully she's papa's wife said molly quietly i don't mean to say i'm not often very sorry to feel i'm no longer first with him but it was the violent colour flushed into her face until even her eyes burnt and she suddenly found herself on the point of crying the weeping ash-tree the misery the slow dropping comfort and the comforter came all so vividly before her it was roger she went on looking up at cynthia as she overcame her slight hesitation at mentioning his name roger who told me how i ought to take papa's marriage when i was first startled and grieved at the news oh cynthia what a great thing it is to be loved by him cynthia blushed and looked fluttered and pleased yes i suppose it is at the same time molly i'm afraid he'll expect me to be always as good as he fancies me now and i shall have to walk on tiptoe all the rest of my life but you are good cynthia put in molly no i'm not you're just as much mistaken as he is and some day I shall go down in your opinions with a run, just like the hall clock the other day, when the spring broke. I think he'll love you just as much, said Molly. Could you? Would you be my friend if, if it turned out, ever, that I had done very wrong things? Would you remember how very difficult it has sometimes been to me to act rightly? She took hold of Molly's hand as she spoke. We won't speak of Mamma, for your sake as much as mine or hers but you must see she isn't one to help a girl with much good advice or good oh molly you don't know how i was neglected just at a time when i wanted friends most mamma does not know it it is not in her to know what i might have been if i had only fallen into wise good hands but i know it and what's more 
continued she, suddenly ashamed of her unusual exhibition of feeling. I try not to care, which I dare say is really the worst of all, but I could worry myself to death if I once took to serious thinking. I wish I could help you, or even understand you, said Molly, after a moment or two of sad perplexity. You can help me, said Cynthia, changing her manner abruptly. I can trim bonnets and make headdresses, but somehow my hands can't fold up gowns and collars, like your deft little fingers. Please, will you help me to pack? That's a real, tangible piece of kindness, and not sentimental consolation for sentimental distresses, which are perhaps imaginary after all. In general, it is the people that are left behind stationary who give way to low spirits at any parting. The travellers, however bitterly they may feel the separation, find something in the change of scene to soften regret at the very first hour of separation. But as Molly walked home with her father, from seeing Mrs. Gibson and Cynthia off to London by the umpire coach, she almost danced along the street. "'Now, papa,' said she, "'I am going to have you all to myself for a whole week. You must be very obedient.' "'Don't be tyrannical, then. You're walking me out of breath, and we're cutting Mrs. Goodenough in our hurry.' So they crossed over the street to speak to Mrs. Goodenough. "'We've just been seeing my wife and her daughter off to London. Mrs. Gibson has gone up for a week.' Deary, deary, to London, and only for a week. Why, I can remember it's being a three days' journey. It'll be very lonesome for you, Miss Molly, without your young companion. Yes, said Molly, suddenly feeling as if she ought to have taken this view of the case. I shall miss Cynthia very much. And you, Mr. Gibson, why, it'll be like being a widower over again. You must come and drink tea with me some evening. We must try to cheer you up a bit amongst us. Shall it be Tuesday? In spite of the sharp pinch which Molly gave to his arm, Mr. Gibson accepted the invitation, much to the gratification of the old lady. Papa, how could you go and waste one of our evenings? We have but six in all, and now but five, and I had so reckoned on our doing all sorts of things together. What sort of things? Oh, I don't know. Everything that is unrefined and ungenteel added she, slyly looking up into her father's face. His eyes twinkled, but the rest of his face was perfectly grave. I'm not going to be corrupted. With toil and labor I've reached a very fair height of refinement. I won't be pulled down again. Yes, you will, Papa. We'll have bread and cheese for lunch this very day, and you shall wear your slippers in the drawing-room every evening you'll stay quietly at home. And, oh, Papa, don't you think I could write Nora Craner? I've been looking out the old grey skirt— and I think I could make myself tidy. Where's the side-saddle to come from? To be sure, the old one won't fit that great Irish mare, but I'm not particular, Papa. I think I could manage somehow. Thank you, but I'm not quite going to return into barbarism. It may be a depraved taste, but I should like to see my daughter properly mounted. Think of riding together down the lanes. Why, the dog-roses must be all out in flower, and the honeysuckles, and the hay. How I should like to see Merriman's farm again. Papa, do let me have one ride with you. Please do. I'm sure we can manage it somehow. And somehow it was managed. Somehow all Molly's wishes came to pass. There was only one little drawback to this week of holiday and happy intercourse with her father. Everybody would ask them out to tea. They were quite like bride and bridegroom for the fact was that the late dinners which mrs gibson had introduced into her own house were a great inconvenience in the calculations of the small tea-drinkings at hollingford i'll ask people to tea at six who dined at that hour 
how when they refused cake and sandwiches at half-past eight how induce other people who were really hungry to commit a vulgarity before those calm and scornful eyes so there had been a great lull of invitations for the gibsons to hollingford tea-parties mrs gibson whose object was to squeeze herself into county society had taken this being left out of the smaller festivities with great equanimity but molly missed the kind homeliness of the parties to which she had gone from time to time as long as she could remember and though as each three-cornered note was brought in she grumbled a little over the loss of another charming evening with her father she really was glad to go again in the old way among friends miss browning and miss phoebe were especially compassionate towards her in her loneliness if they had had their will she would have dined there every day and she had to call upon them very frequently in order to prevent their being hurt at her declining the dinners mrs gibson wrote twice during her week's absence to her husband that piece of news was quite satisfactory to the miss brownings who had of late held themselves a great deal aloof from a house where they chose to suppose that their presence was not wanted in their winter evenings they had often talked over mr gibson's household and having little besides conjecture to go upon they found the subject interminable as they could vary the possibilities every day one of their wonders was how mr and mrs gibson really got on together another was whether mrs gibson was extravagant or not now two letters during the week of her absence showed what was in those days considered a very proper amount of conjugal affection yet not too much at eleven pence halfpenny postage a third letter would have been extravagant sister looked to sister with an approving nod as molly named the second letter which arrived in hollingford the very day before mrs gibson was to return they had settled between themselves that two letters would show the right amount of good feeling and proper understanding in the gibson family more would have been extravagant only one would have been a mere matter of duty there had been rather a question between miss browning and miss phoebe as to which person the second letter supposing it came was to be addressed to it would be very conjugal to write twice to mr gibson and yet it would be very pretty if molly came in for her share you've had another letter you say my dear asked miss browning i dare say mrs gibson has written to you this time it is a large sheet and cynthia has written on one half to me and all the rest is to papa a very nice arrangement i'm sure and what does cynthia say is she enjoying herself oh yes i think so they've had a dinner party and one night when mamma was at lady cumnor's cynthia went to the play with her cousins upon my word and all in one week i do call that dissipation why thursday would be taken up with the journey and friday with resting and sunday is sunday all over the world and they must have written on tuesday well i hope cynthia won't find hollingford dull that's all when she comes back i don't think it's likely said miss phoebe with a little simper and a knowing look which sat oddly on her kind innocent face you see a great deal of mr preston don't you molly mr preston said molly flushing up with surprise no not much he's been at ashcombe all winter you know he has but just come back to settle here what should make you think so oh a little bird told us said miss browning molly knew that little bird from her childhood and had always hated it and longed to wring its neck why could not people speak out and say that they did not mean to give up the name of their informant but it was a very favourite form of fiction with the miss brownings and to miss phoebe it was the very acme of wit the little bird was flying about one day in heath lane and it saw mr preston and a young lady we won't say who walking together in a very friendly manner 
that is to say he was on horseback but the path is raised above the road just where there is the little wooden bridge over the brook perhaps molly is in the secret and we ought not to ask her about it said miss phoebe seeing molly's extreme discomfiture and annoyance it can be no great secret said miss browning dropping the little bird formula and assuming an air of dignified reproval at miss phoebe's interruption for miss hornblower says mr preston owns to being engaged at any rate it isn't to cynthia that i know positively said molly with some vehemence and pray put a stop to any such reports you don't know what mischief they may do i do so hate that kind of chatter it was not very respectful of molly to speak in this way to be sure but she thought only of roger and the distress any such reports might cause should he ever hear of them in the centre of africa made her colour up scarlet with vexation Highty tighty miss molly don't you remember that i'm old enough to be your mother and that it is not pretty behaviour to speak so to us to me chatter to be sure really molly i beg your pardon said molly only half penitent i dare say you did not mean to speak so to sister said miss phoebe trying to make peace molly did not answer all at once she wanted to explain how much mischief might be done by such reports but don't you see she went on still flushed by vexation how bad it is to talk of such things in such a way supposing one of them cared for someone else and that might happen you know mr preston for instance may be engaged to someone else molly i pity the woman indeed i do i have a very poor opinion of mr preston said miss browning in a warning tone of voice for a new idea had come into her head well but the woman or young lady would not like to hear such reports about mr preston perhaps not but for all that take my word for it he's a great flirt and young ladies had better not have much to do with him i dare say it was all accident their meeting in heath lane said miss phoebe i know nothing about it said molly and i dare say i have been impertinent only please don't talk about it any more i have my reasons for asking you she got up for by the striking of the church clock she had just found out that it was later than she had thought and she knew that her father would be at home by this time she bent down and kissed miss browning's grave and passive face how you are growing molly said miss phoebe anxious to cover over her sister's displeasure as tall and straight as a poplar tree as the old song says grow in grace molly as well as in good looks said miss browning watching her out of the room as soon as she was fairly gone miss browning got up and shut the door quite securely and then sitting down near her sister she said in a low voice phoebe it was molly herself that was with mr preston in heath lane that day when mrs goodenough saw them together goodness gracious me exclaimed miss phoebe receiving it at once as gospel how do you know by putting two and two together didn't you notice how red molly went and then pale and how she said she knew for a fact that mr preston and cynthia kirkpatrick were not engaged perhaps not engaged but mrs goodenough saw them loitering together all by their own two selves mrs goodenough only crossed heath lane at the shire oak as she was riding in her phaeton said miss browning sententiously we all know what a coward she is in a carriage so that most likely she had only half her wits about her and her eyes are none of the best when she is standing steady on the ground molly and cynthia have got their new plaid shawls just alike 
and they trim their bonnets alike and molly has grown as tall as cynthia since christmas i was always afraid she'd be short and stumpy but she's now as tall and slender as any one need be i'll answer for it mrs goodenough saw molly and took her for cynthia when miss browning answered for it miss phoebe gave up doubting she sat some time in silence revolving her thoughts then she said it wouldn't be such a very bad match after all sister she spoke very meekly awaiting her sister's sanction to her opinion phoebe it would be a bad match for mary pearson's daughter if i had known what i know now we'd never have had him to tea last september why what do you know asked miss phoebe miss hornblower told me many things some that i don't think you ought to hear phoebe he was engaged to a very pretty miss gregson at henwick where he comes from and her father made inquiries and heard so much that was bad about him that he made his daughter break off the match and she's dead since how shocking said miss phoebe duly impressed besides he plays billiards and he bets at races and some people do say he keeps race-horses but isn't it strange that the earl keeps him on as his agent no perhaps not he's very clever about land and very sharp in all law affairs and my lord isn't bound to take notice if indeed he knows of the manner in which mr preston talks when he has taken too much wine taken too much wine oh sister is he a drunkard and we have had him to tea i didn't say he was a drunkard phoebe said miss browning pettishly a man may take too much wine occasionally without being a drunkard don't let me hear you using such coarse words phoebe miss phoebe was silent for a time after this rebuke presently she said i do hope it wasn't molly gibson you may hope as much as you like but i'm pretty sure it was however we'd better say nothing about it to mrs goodenough she has got cynthia into her head and there let her rest time enough to set reports afloat about molly when we know there's some truth in them mr preston might do for cynthia who's been brought up in france though she has such pretty manners but it may have made her not particular he must not and he shall not have molly if i go into church and forbid the bands myself but i'm afraid i'm afraid there's something between her and him we must keep on the lookout phoebe i'll be her guardian angel in spite of herself End of chapter 40